Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Let's pray together. Father, help us now as we continue to worship you. Help us to worship you in accordance with your word, humbly surrendered in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been made for personal relationships. From the very beginning, God said, It is not good that man should be alone. So God made Adam a helper fit for him. And beyond this type of horizontal relationship, we have been made for a vertical relationship, a relationship with the eternal God. Superficial relationships have a place in our lives, but they are not truly satisfying. We've arrived at a day in our popular culture where some have opted for casual, non-committal relations to fulfill sexual needs. These do not, cannot meet the needs of the souls of men and women. God instituted marriage as one of the means of meeting our earthly need for companionship. Additionally, beyond the bond of marriage, God gives us other opportunities to develop meaningful earthly relationships uh, that are mutually beneficial. Consider what Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. If our human relationships are superficial, there will be no staying power. When we're in need, we'll have no one to confide in. When we are struggling, we'll have no one to support our emotional needs. When we are physically impaired, We'll have no one to come alongside of us, to aid us. We need deeper relationships in life. And in the Christian life, the life that we embark upon through faith in Jesus Christ, we have a desperate need, an absolute desperate need, for a deepening relationship with our Savior. There should be within us a passion to know Him as we have been known by Him. To know Him as we have been known by Him. We need to dive deeper. And so the question we have before us this morning and throughout the week is, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ? To know Him is to believe Him. The Lord Jesus said in His high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, and this is, this is eternal life, that, you may, that, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then the Lord Jesus, you'll remember, said to Nicodemus in John 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. To know him is to believe him. These two concepts cannot be uh, separated. To know him is to gain him. And that is what our Bibles tell us here in Philippians chapter 3. To know him is to gain him. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul writes, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I what? I may gain Christ. To know Him is to gain Him. Paul's testimony is that knowing Jesus was his greatest gain. Not only to know Him is to believe Him, and to know Him is to gain Him, to know Him is to be united to Him. To know Him is to be united to Him. Look what it says in verse 9. And be found in Him. Be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. To, to know Him is to gain Him and be united with Him. And therefore, all of the righteous deeds the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled, all of the righteous deeds the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated, they're attributed to those that are in Him. In him. To know Him is to be united with Him. To be united to Him is to be declared righteous. I want you to think for just a moment, friend. If you were to stand before God today, would He consider you righteous? Do you know that if you are not perfectly righteous, you will not gain entrance into heaven? Well, the solution is to know Christ. Know Christ. When you know Christ, you're united to Him. And when you're united to Him, God declares you righteous. Your records in heaven are changed. Knowing Jesus Christ is equal to trusting Him. In one of Jesus' I Am statements, He clearly connected the concept that a saving relationship with Him is a relationship of true knowledge. He said this in John 10, 14-16. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. Will you say this next part with me? And my own know me. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice because they know me. They will know me. That's why they'll listen to my voice. How you know that you know Jesus Christ is you listen to His voice. You, you know when the Word of God speaks, Christ speaks. What God says, He says through the Scriptures. And what the Scriptures say, Jesus says. So He concludes that section. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And that shepherd is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. To know him is to trust him. This knowledge of Christ, Paul says, is of surpassing value. He says that in verse 8, which we already read. And to know him is parallel to trusting him. 
the expression of this true knowledge of Jesus Christ is faith in Him. Paul clearly teaches in verse 9 that we are justified by faith. Justified. That is a, a proclamation where God removes our sin and He adds Jesus' righteousness. We are justified by faith. This is the beginning of our spiritual journey. It is simply the first step. The journey continues. It must, it must continue. It continues as we dive deeper into our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul desired to know his Savior more intimately and thoroughly. More intimately and thoroughly. This is the second step of our spiritual journey, and it is multifaceted. It is something we call sanctification. Sanctification by faith. Sanctification is the process whereby God changes us into the image of His Son. Sanctification is that process whereby God is declaring us and making us holy. Sanctification takes place over the lifetime of the believer as well as it is permanently guaranteed to the believer upon faith in Christ. But sanctification comes by faith. And this really is what Paul is getting at in verse 10. As we dive into verse 10, we, we must notice that Paul is speaking of himself, and I think as an example to us, we must follow in this pathway. We must know Jesus intimately. Look at what he says in verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings being like Him in His death. That I may know Him. Paul uses the Greek word gnosko. It's a word that conveys a process of coming to know something. It, it can incorporate becoming aware of something, but it broadens out and it deepens in, in its usage. In fact, the word gnosko or, or gnosis was used by some of those first century uh, religious uh, zealots who said that they had a deeper, more spiritual, more special secret knowledge. These uh, religious endeavors were forerunners of what came to be called Gnosticism. They thought they had some special, deeper knowledge. Well, well Paul piggybacks on that as I need to know Christ more deeply, more broadly, more thoroughly. There's an intimacy that's needed in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, God has given us what we need to gain a more in intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's given us His Word, which continually bears testimony to who Jesus Christ is. God's Word uh, constantly speaks of Jesus' nature, that He is fully God and fully man. It speaks clearly of Jesus' life, how He completely obeyed the will of the Father. It speaks clearly of Jesus' death, which was in our place on account of our sin as a wrath-removing sacrifice. It speaks clearly of Jesus' resurrection. And His resurrection is a token. Now what I mean by a token, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a symbol to tell us that our future 
is also filled with a resurrection. Jesus Christ, when He physically, literally rose from the dead, demonstrates for us in seedling form what will happen to everyone who truly knows Jesus Christ will be raised eternally to God. The Bible speaks continuously of Jesus' roles. He is the Creator. He is the Sustainer of the universe. He is the Savior of the world. The Bible declares Jesus to be our great High Priest, always living to make intercession for us. The Bible declares that Jesus is our Advocate, the One who defends us before the Father when sin accuses us to be condemned. Jesus is our Advocate. It's incredible. Jesus is our Head. He is the Head of the Body. He is the Head of the Church. And the Bible clearly declares that Jesus is our coming King. He is currently King, but He will be declared publicly, visibly, to be our King in a day, Lord, soon. We learn of these truths as we read the Bible. But what is being spoken of here in Philippians chapter 3 is more than a mere knowledge of who Jesus is and what He has done. These are important elements. This intimate knowledge goes beyond that. It needs to be more personal uh, and, and developing relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul knew all of the things that I just declared to you. And he says, I want to know Him more. More deeply, more broadly, more thoroughly. We need to be able to learn to trust God, to trust our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the midst of our daily struggles. We need to learn how to talk with Him in the midst of our temptations. Folks, each one of us deals with temptation different from one person to the next. It is essential that we learn to talk to our Savior in the midst of these temptations. We must learn to confide in Him at our most taxing times in our experience. When we receive bad news, who's the first one? that we speak to? When someone is really getting under our skin, who's the first one you speak to? When you are on the verge of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, whose rod and staff comforts you? Do you walk with this shepherd Do you walk with this Savior? Is He your nearest and dearest friend? Can you you confide in Him? Can you trust Him? Can He lift you up when you are in the pit? Can He rescue you when you are tempted? Can He guide you through the most challenging experience of your life? This is what it means to know Him intimately. When you are celebrating the birth of a child, when you achieve something special, when you make your rent payment again, when you eat another meal, who are you thanking? To whom do you credit 
these good things. You know, here is how you and I can know if we are growing in our intimacy with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When when we read the text I'm about to read, is there an amen in your soul or a sense in which you're missing the mark? Listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians 1.18. And He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, 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 that in everything, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, in everything he might be preeminent. When you get up in the morning and you start your day, and as you make your morning commute, and as you fulfill your functions at work, and then you have your time of lunch, and then you finished your functions at work, and you're on your evening commute, and you enter into your house, and it's dinner time, and then it's cleanup time, and then it's whatever needs to be done time. In these, in these moments, does Christ have the place of prominence? Is He the, the first thought of the day and the last thought of the day? Does He navigate and and manage your thoughts throughout the day? As we grow in our intimacy with Him, everything we do filters through our relationship with Him. In fact, everything we do, we see through the lens of our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is intimacy. Think of it this way. When you're honoring your spouse, whose desires are you more concerned about? Say it's their birthday. Or a special date. When there is a sweet harmony between my wife and myself, I have no real concern about what we're going to do, what we're going to eat. I'm concerned with what she wants or what she needs. My will is kind of absorbed into her will and vice versa. Have you had those sweet times of communion with your spouse or someone else where it's just, I don't really care how this goes. Some of the hardest times for my wife and I have been figuring out what we're gonna, where we're going to go to dinner. I don't care, dear. Where do you want to go? I don't care. I want to know where you want to go. And it's like this, this bantering back and forth of, you know, I want to make sure that you get what you want. This is, this is a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing for us to care more for what our, our spouse wants than what we want ourselves. When we're walking in harmony with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our will is absorbed into His. I want what He wants. He is the King. He gets to call the shots. He is preeminent. I know, folks, life is hard. You had plans. You had them all charted out, how you wanted things to go in your life. Some of those plans came to fruition and others were halted. God had other designs. You had plans for a week, you had plans for a month, you had plans for a year, you had plans for a life and things went differently. I can tell you, as you and I grow in our intimacy and trust of who Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior is, we start to learn to say, Lord, whatever it is you want, That's what I want. I might not like it. 
I might not like this diagnosis. I might not like this outcome. I might not like this circumstance. But God, you, you designed this for me. And to know Him is to recognize that He has not neglected you, forgotten you, or fallen asleep on you. You know Him. We must grow in this kind of intimacy. As we move further in the text, we recognize Paul's testimony is he also wanted to know Christ victoriously. And so we must know Jesus victoriously. Look what it says in verse 10 again. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. The power of His resurrection. Paul wanted to know the power of His resurrection. This is the power that wrestled Jesus' physical body from death and made Him alive. This is supernatural, life-giving power. The Bible speaks of this great divine power as being for us. For us. We're in the book of Philippians. I want you to take a left, please, and go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Just one book to your left. Ephesians chapter 1. As Paul prays for the Christian church at Ephesus, he wants the church to know of the wisdom, hope, gifts, and power of God. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 16 of chapter 1. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness, the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, that's, that's resurrection power, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Resurrection power is on display in Ephesians chapter 1 in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, His ascension to the right hand of God the Father, His session at the right hand of God the Father, His dominance over uh, kings and priests in the angelic realm, His dominance. He rules in heaven. He's far above all might and dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That is resurrection power. And God tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, He wants us to know that power and that it is for or toward us. Well, this immeasurable greatness of His power being toward us is demonstrated in some ways in the next chapter where we see Paul's praising God in that He, in verse 5, made us alive together with Christ. That's chapter 2 and verse 5. He made us alive together with Christ. And secondly, in verse 6, He raised us up with Him. And then thirdly, He seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Just what happened to Christ. He died on the cross, was placed in a tomb. He was raised to life. He, was, he ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. This is what God has done in the life 
of the believer. This is resurrection power. He further communicates about this in the book of Colossians chapter 1. Paul speaks of the divine power of God enabling the believer. Are you one of those? Are you one of those believers? Follower of Jesus Christ? He enables believers like us to live a life in verse 10. That is, this is Colossians 1.10. It's on the screen. Colossians 1.10. To live a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. All of this is accomplished in verse 11 of that text. He uses some supercharged words here. As we are strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. He uses three words for power in verse 11. The last of which has to do with a majestic, sovereign power. He he said, you and I, as we walk this pilgrim pathway, as we're, we're traversing this earth, God intends for us to be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's chapter 1 and verse 9 of Colossians 1. To be filled with the knowledge of His will so that we'll walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing. And how is that going to take place? Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. That's resurrection power. Your and my daily lives are absolutely, desperately dependent upon resurrection power. It's the power of God. Now, you, you feel like a peon, don't you? I do. I'm a peon. Resurrection power inside me. Because God Himself in the person of the Spirit of Christ dwells in me. Resurrection power. It's incredible. What a privilege. Turn to Romans chapter 6. You're going to continue going left. You're going to go through Galatians and then the two Corinthian books in the book of Romans chapter 6. What does this resurrection power accomplish for us? Because it's resurrection power that is for us or toward us. What does it accomplish? Well, we'll recognize in Romans chapter 6 it has a very specific function. In verse 6 and following, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be what? Enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been what? You've got it. Set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Is that resurrection power? Yes. And your members as uh, members to God as instruments for righteousness. That's what resurrection power results in. Why? Verse 14, for sin will have no what? Dominion over you since you are not under the law but under 
grace. Resurrection power breaks the dominance of sin. Sin is no longer our master. I do not have to say, yes sir, yes ma'am. I can say, no way bud. The power of Christ rests upon me. Dominion, it's been broken because of resurrection power. Look at chapter 8. You're in Romans. Just take a right. Chapter 8. Look at what it says in verses 12 through 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He just told us another truth about resurrection power. Resurrection power, here described or clarified as the power of the Holy Spirit, enables us to recognize and set aside fleshly passions that run contrary to the word and will of God. Resurrection power makes it very clear. That is the way of the old man. This is the way of Christ. And by the power of the Spirit, I can say, I will not traverse down that pathway. That pathway is the old pathway. And it had nothing good to offer me. Put to death the deeds of the body. Because we are God's people. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we want to experience victory over temptation and sin that we know the Scriptures promise us. We're greatly encouraged as we read what the author of Hebrews spoke about our our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in His high priestly ministry. Look at what it says in in Hebrews 2. This will be on the screen. Therefore He, Jesus, had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Listen carefully to what He says in verse 18. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted... He, he. Who's he? He, Jesus, is able to help those who are being tempted. Brothers and sisters, we are not alone when we are tempted. Our great high priest is available to aid us. We must cry out to him in the midst of our temptation. And He can deliver us. How? Through resurrection power. Paul said, I want to know Him. Well, you know Him, Paul. You already know Him. No, I want to really know Him. I want to walk with Him. I want to love Him. I want to like Him. I want to enjoy Him. I want to experience what it means to live a life in harmony with God. I want to know Him intimately. And I want to know what it's like to have the power of Christ residing in me, on me, for me, and through me. That I no longer live a life 
that is hampered by sin and filthiness and wickedness. Paul knew he didn't have this in himself. He knew the source was the resurrection power found in Christ alone. I don't know what you're going through, friend. I don't know what misery you find yourself experiencing. I don't know what struggles that are in the the innermost man. I can tell you this, though. Jesus can and will deliver you with his resurrection power. You need him. I need him. I need to know him. I must know him victoriously. He's willing. Are you diving deeper? Are you diving deeper in your knowledge and your understanding and your walk with your Savior? This is what Paul is calling us to by his own example. Head back, please, to Philippians chapter 3. Not only must we know him intimately and victoriously, We must know him experientially. We're still in verse 10 of Philippians 3. I'll read the entire verse for context's sake. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Our ESV reads, and may share his sufferings. The Greek text literally reads, and fellowship of his sufferings. So if you just read what it says in the Greek, it would read like this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and fellowship of his sufferings. Partaking of his sufferings. The, the way that the ESV translated it, it's like, so I, so I may do this. But what it does by adding that bit of helpful information is it strips away that this is a knowledge factor, that this is, a, this is a way that we come to know Jesus. He's not just wanting to share Jesus' sufferings. He wants to know Jesus in His sufferings. There is a difference between those two concepts. My only point is to communicate that this is another way that Paul wanted us, or wanted himself, to know Jesus more intimately. There is a communion or a commonness, even an intimacy among those who suffer together. The world knows this. They don't have what we have, but they know this. This is why there are little support groups, right? Support groups for this disease and that disease. And they get together and they share together the things they're going through. In in a, a military sense, many times units are mobilized together. These soldiers or sailors or marines share in common an experience. And it can really provide a bond through difficulties. On the other hand, the spouses of these sailors, soldiers, or marines do not have the same support generally. And there can be a growing emptiness due to the absence of their loved one and a lack of their direct involvement in the mission. Similarly, there are those that are added to a mobilization. They're tagged with the phrase, individual augmentee. They they call it IA. This person is just an add-on. They're not a part of that unit. They're, they're, They're additional. They're support. And they come in and are injected into that unit. And so they function in the mission and they have the bond while they're there. And when they come back the unit gets to see each other again. And so all those shared experiences that they've been through, they can can lean on one another. But the individual augmentee, he goes back to to another unit. And he's like, they didn't go through the same things he went through. He has essentially no one. There's, There's a missing link there. 
They often don't have that kind of camaraderie that the unit provides. All that to say, shared experiences, good or bad, are better than solo experiences. So Paul provides numerous remarks throughout his writings about his suffering for or with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4.10, listen to what he says. I'm always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. His suffering was a way in which Christ was demonstrated because there's this commonness through that suffering. He made this statement in the book of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Do you think he's saying here that Jesus didn't do enough? No. It's just a continuation of the suffering begun in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sharing in that suffering, filling up. I'm continuing it. I'm broadening it out. That suffering of Christ has been privileged to His people as they broaden out the ministry of Christ. The suffering of Christ is also experienced for the sake of the body that is the church. He was sharing in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. It was providing a common bond for Him as he pursued a deeper relationship with his Savior. Not only did suffering provide a common experience between Paul and the Lord Jesus, and for us and our Savior, but according to the end of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, it has another effect. It's the source of God fulfilling his ultimate purpose in Paul's life and in our lives. It was conforming him to Jesus' death. You see that at the end of verse, verse 10? Becoming like Him in His death. That's a, the word conformity that we use. The word He uses to describe this transformation is a compound word that means same form. Becoming like Him. Similar. Same form. The idea is that of bearing the image of Jesus Christ. And this didn't happen by accident, folks. God makes us like His Son through different things we experience in life. Some of these experiences are glorious. Some of them are wonderful. Think about when you were born again. Do you remember? Can you remember when you first really embraced the Gospel and you had the weight of your sin for the first time removed and you felt as if you could fly. I, I can't believe this. I'm right with God. I have an eternal destiny in heaven. Can you remember that? It's glorious. God uses things like that as part of our experience to conform us to His Son. He uses things like we're doing right now as we worship God in the Word, as we worship Him in song earlier, in prayer, and in giving, in our fellowship, uh, both personal and corporate times of worship. He uses these things. He also uses our relationships. These are good things God uses in our lives that are part of the transformation process. Some of the experiences that come into our lives that God uses for our transformation are also difficult. Being rejected by 
family and friends as we hold tightly to the new way of the redeemed life. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. There are also sufferings that God has designed for your life and my life. Nobody wants to have that pain, that turmoil, whether it be a mental anguish, whether it be a physical anguish. No one wants it. But God has designed it. He's designed it for you. He's designed it for me, for our lives to conform us. Through all of these graces, whether they be good or bad, in our mind's thinking, God is at work making us like His Son. God is, is, is sanctifying us. He's changing us. He's making us like His Son. And He's doing this as we dive deeper in our relationship with our Savior. We cannot remain on a superficial level with our Savior. He can't just be our acquaintance. We must know Him intimately, victoriously, and experientially. And when we are deepening in this knowledge of Christ, we can be assured that we will know Him this last way. We will know Him. We must know Him eternally. We must know Him eternally. This final step of our spiritual journey, we can rightly call glorification by faith. In verse 9, we have justification by faith. In verse 10, we have sanctification by faith. And in verse 11, we have glorification by faith. And here's what he writes, verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. By any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. His ultimate desire was to, to, to rise and be with God forever. Now, it sounds like he's doubting this here, and that's not the intent. Similar to the way he speaks in 1 Corinthians 9, where he says, uh, lest after I, I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. He's not literally saying he doesn't know if he's going to make it. What he is doing is he, he humbly has entrusted his soul to his Maker. So the question we have to ask to, to kind of fill this out and to conclude our time together is, who will be resurrected unto life eternal? Who will receive this resurrection from the dead? Well, according to the context, I think we have a clear answer to that. It is not those who trust in their heritage, their religion, or their efforts, as verses 4-6 through speak of, but those who have understood the vast, surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, as he spoke about in verse 8. Remember, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have slept. The first fruits. He's the first installment, which means there are more to come. And who are those that will be resurrected in like manner with the Lord? Those who have trusted Jesus Christ. Those who know. Those who know Jesus Christ. Those who know Jesus Christ want to know Him more. And so I ask you, are you diving deep? Or are you satisfied with knowing Jesus as an acquaintance? 
Is he your Savior, your Lord, your King, your friend? Do you walk with him? God has made us for deeper relationships, particularly for a deeper relationship with himself. It is in this relationship that we find our greatest purpose, our greatest satisfaction, and our greatest confidence. Do you know Jesus Christ? Has He saved you from your sin? One day, this is a fact, folks, scriptural fact. One day you will stand before Him. What will He say? There are two possible answers. The first one is, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Or, depart from me. I never knew you. Those are the worst words you could ever hear. And I can tell you, I know how you'll never hear them. If you know him, he'll never not know you. Paul, by God's grace, has communicated to us this desperate need to know Christ savingly and then intimately and then victoriously and then experientially and finally eternally. This is, this is the call. It's a call to all of us to know him this way. You can know today that your life is redeemed, that you have an eternal home in heaven. And, and believer, as you sit there, as we sit here, as we're, we're in this place, do not be satisfied with casual relationship with Christ. It is so much greater as we dive deeper. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Minister your grace in our lives. I pray we pray for anyone here that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior. Dear God, please help them come to know Jesus. For those of us that do, may we know you more. May we know Him more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.